0: Welcome to the Production Talk podcast with me, Jan of mixartist.com.au. In this podcast series, we celebrate the modern way of producing music. We want to talk about all things related to songwriting, recording at home and music production. So if you produce your music at home, this is the place to be. Please subscribe and recommend this podcast to all your friends. Production Talk Podcast Episode 11 Welcome back to the Production Talk Podcast. It's absolutely fabulous to have you on board today. Last week we looked at the typical music production timeline and realized just how many different jobs you self-producing musicians have. Songwriting, composing, writing lyrics, arranging, recording, programming, editing, mixing, mastering... Publishing, distribution, promoting and marketing. Over the next few episodes we are going to dive into more detail on these topics. And today I'd like to talk more about the first few jobs. So I thought about the most knowledgeable and most experienced songwriter I know. Too many to choose from. I picked Shell and Tom, also known as TK, for this interview because I admire their flow state-like, effortless production workflow. I've worked with both of them in the studio many times and there's never any dramas, no frustration, no uphill battles when they're around. Nowadays, Chell and TK produce their own music from home, the way many of us want to, but not always know how to. Both Chell and TK have academic musical qualifications, but I think the main reason they work so well together is that they have mastered the music production Relay Race, which I explained in last week's episode and if you're not entirely sure what i'm talking about here please go back to episode number 10 and have a listen okay now let's get to the good stuff here's my interview with Chell and tk of sky eater With me today is Chell and TK from the band Sky Eater. Thank you very much for making the time today. Um, I've known you for a long time and I've seen quite a bit of you know musical development and ex- uh, experimentation to all kinds of awesome directions. And I uh, mm. yeah, hope to talk to you today about uh, your recent productions and uh, hopefully get some some good knowledge out of you of uh, how you best approach something complex like you do with just two people. So yeah, right. thank you for being on board. Pleasure. Um, Thank you for making the time. So, um, Chel, please tell us, uh, what, what are you currently working on?
1: Um, we are currently working on recording a new album. And we're very lucky because we have the problem of having so much material that we've been trying to figure out the best way to package it all and record it all and present it to the world. And this next album is going to be more of our down-tempo, kind of trip-hop-influenced music.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. So you basically have a pool of songs to choose from and then you picked some for this album or? Yeah. That's a beautiful position to be in. It is. Okay, so how, how big is your pool of songs roughly?
2: Oh, I'd say there's at least 20 at the moment, maybe yeah. more.
1: We've got enough for it. a trip hop album, a reggae album, and then maybe part of a drum and bass album. So there's quite a few songs there and there's, they're being written all the time. <laughs>
0: Okay, yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about but songwriting, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. So uh, are they all collaborative ideas, or do you sometimes come up with an idea yourself? Right? Do you write an entire song yourself, or do you pass it forward and back? How, how does it work between the two of you?
2: It depends. It depends what would constitute a song. If you're talking in the traditional sense of melody and lyrics, then Chelsea composes the songs. Um, but being a kind of hybrid electronic acoustic act that uh, augments a live performance of technology, um, I think that, that part of the composition does come down to the production and, and, the, and the beat making and the sound design as well. Um, so I'd like to think that it, it is a collaborative process throughout.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of collaboration that goes on.
0: Okay. So- yeah. Chelsea, you might start with a melody and, you know, some lyrics and then you bounce ideas forward back between the two of you. Do I read that right?
1: Yeah, they seem to pretty well come out formed most of the time with, like, melodies and lyrics and structures mostly kind of there. Yeah, bits do change once we start recording, once we do the pre-production kind of stuff, move Mm. things around and then... Tom adds so much in terms of dynamics and, yeah, all the the beautiful, atmospheric, extra sparkly stuff is his oh, department. That sounds
2: good. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, sometimes I, I will just have, have, you know, had a rare piece of time on my hands and um, I'll just play around with some drum beats or extract some loops from some drum recordings that I've done or just find a groove and put it down and then, I'll just stem it out and chuck it into Ableton Live. And then we've got, uh, maybe we've got a, a low pressure gig that's long, like a three set gig at the market. Sometimes we play at the farmer's market. We use that as a bit of a platform to experiment with new material. So I'll chuck the loop down. Chelsea will start playing some chords and loop that. Um, I'll come up with a bass line off her chords. And then and she's very, as most horn players are, very, very quick to find melodic hooks and start stacking up harmonies and grabbing themes um uh, and then we'll it will develop over a course of gigs um to the point where it feels like a formed song and then we'll start doing pre-production recordings off the back of that
0: so you're saying that you're writing songs as you play live gigs sometimes we do that sometimes that's phenomenal it's part of the
2: process well
0: talking about you know killing two birds with one stone That's a fantastic idea.
1: And people in the audience have no idea (laughs) exactly what they're watching.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's excellent. That's really good. Okay. And um, in your experience, how how much time does it take you for, you know, develop a song from the idea to until, you know, the arrangement is set and it becomes a bit more of a solid structure? Is that... Does that differ a lot? I mean,
2: it, it, it depends how one would quantify that. It, it, you know, it's finding the, the the time in in a very busy schedule of gigging and and um, and teaching and and promotion and all the other things that you have to do as a musician to survive. Um, is you know, if if I had a if we had a week of no activities and we had an idea, then we would probably have it uh, pre production recording recorded and arranged within a couple of days um you know it's a
0: well that's fast
2: yeah I mean yeah. once once it gets down to the nitty-gritty um what I'll generally do is I'll put whatever drum loop that we were using whether it's something I've created or something that Chelsea's found that she likes I'll put it into into DAW and just get her to come in and play some some guide keys and then do a guide vocal and then leave it with me and then I'll just kind of shuffle things around into a, into a rough shape of how I like the song to go and then think of what, what additional layers I can add. And I usually will put, um, start off with just a, a synth bass and some MIDI MIDI keys, got some nice Arturia keys and organs in there. Um, I record some electric guitar and just start sketching stuff, mapping it out, layering up extra drum hits and bits of sound design and, and find a good shape for it. And then I'll play it to Chelsea, see if she likes it. And if we, we kind of roughly agree on how the song's going, the tempo and the vibe, then um, we'll just make a plan to start laying down final recordings for the parts. And, then, you know, once, once that, we're at that stage of the process, it all happens very quickly.
0: That sounds amazing. It sounds really like you're a well-oiled machine in some ways.
1: Yeah, I think we've got a pretty good <laughs> workflow going.
2: Yeah, it's, it's like um, even some of the guide vocals we're keeping the Chelsea's just <laughs> spontaneously laid down and they've got such beautiful articulation and expression within them that it seems mm-hmm. like almost forced to try and recreate. And, and, you know, if it's well captured, we'll keep those. But I'm, I'm pretty much in charge of the rhythm. Um, Chelsea's in charge of the melody and we share the harmony a little bit depending on who's got the ideas for the chords. Yeah. Um, and, and then you
0: would write all the horn parts, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. That sounds really good. Like, you know, you were very, like like a song factory. You know, you're pushing them out.
1: Totally feel like I'm a
0: song factory. (laughs) Song factory. (laughs) (laughs) So being, you can talk about being a song factory. Um, What do you do? Do you ever suffer from from writer's block? Have you got moments where just nothing seems to work or ideas just don't seem to come? I don't really get that. Lucky you.
1: I usually try to work with, if I'm if I feel like writing a song, yeah. then I'm like whatever I'm doing, I'll just try and do it. And sometimes I'll be, for example, we went hot air ballooning at the start of this year. We were on the bus to go to get into the hot air balloon at like five o'clock in the morning and I had a song idea. <laughs> so I just sang it into my phone, like
0: on a bus full of people on the way to the hot air balloon. <laughs> Oh, great! And that turned into a song.
1: Yeah, it's a song.
0: Is this going to be on the next album? That one chance?
1: is probably going to be on the reggae album. But we have been performing it live.
2: Which one's that?
1: It's the purest you.
2: Oh yeah, that's that's beautiful. Kind of, um, it's got real kind of sluggy soul beat. You know, like a real um, the kick and the snares laying far behind the beat. It really rolls along beautifully. And
1: oh no, no, it's not that one. Oh, it's not that one. It's the. <laughs> It's a song that's about losing someone that you love. It's about losing a okay, losing a, a pet mm. friend mm, actually, ah. and it's about like it's a, it's really about the beauty the beautiful life that you share mm. with other like people and creatures that come into your life. And I, I can't even think of how it goes right now.
0: And that idea just to came me. to you as you were sitting on the bus there. And then you just pulled out your phone and sang it down straight away. And Mm -hmm. fantastic. And when you listen back to those recordings of ideas, do you connect back to that idea immediately? Or do you sometimes find that you can't make that connection you had at the beginning? Does that happen?
1: I find I can usually make the connection. Mm. Yeah. And then it'll. I think after that we also had one of those more jammy kind of gigs and we just put down some chords and... I tried singing that idea over the top and it worked.
2: I think there's there's something to be said for um, being courageous um, and n- not being too afraid or not taking yourself too seriously. It's kind of like you've got to take yourself seriously enough to do something good. But if you take yourself too seriously, you don't do anything. That's uh, right. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that, you know, that over the years I've written lyrics, they, they, they normally manifest in the form of some sort of like rhymes or ragamuffin rap stuff um and i'll agonize over um trying to say something uh, concise and poignant um and i'll really agonize over the type of language i use and how i'm presenting it try not to be too preachy or um and and it it takes me a very very long time yeah. Um, to write lyrics, and because they raps is a lot of lyrics, it's like a whole song in sixteen bars, whereas Chelsea's um is a really inspiration to me because she'll just um she'll take a story or an experience and just explain it really really beautifully uh, and and people resonate with that and connect with it very mm. quickly because it isn't you know isn't so contrived.
0: It's more of a spontaneous uh, way of, of writing lyrics rather than you know, planning it and thinking it all out.
2: Yeah, it's very sincere. yeah
0: is it possible we talk about overthinking is that what it could be
2: that's me that's why mm. i'm the producer
0: yes Look, um, <laughs> i've come across that point many times when it comes to music and you know a lot of people get stuck into a point you know let it be uh, writing songs or performing or uh, sometimes recording or production where you know overthinking can lead to actually poor outcomes in the end so
1: yeah, uh, trying to force it when, you, yeah, exactly. when you're when you not in the mood. Mm. Like if I don't feel like doing something right then or like if I don't feel inspired to write yeah. something, then I just yeah. won't. I just let it go and just w- wait until another time when I go for a walk in nature or just happen to be doing something random and the thoughts come to me,
0: then I sit down and write. So when your mind is offered... In some ways, if you distract your mind with something else, then inspiration comes to you. Is that what you're saying?
1: Um, yeah, it does come at random times sometimes. I think when
2: that, you... I mean, staring at a blank mm. piece of paper isn't particularly inspirational. Yes. And I've, 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 done many, I've spent many hours over the years, like, going right I'm going to write a song now, looking mm. at a piece of paper. Whereas if you're looking at, you know, some dolphins frolicking in, in, in the ocean or, um, or you know, getting on a hot air balloon or, um, you know, taking a walk through nature and smelling the wonderful aromas of the eucalypts. Um, yeah, or
1: just sitting and looking at the sky or the way the trees, the way the leaves
0: are blowing in the wind. So you take inspiration from from nature a lot, and mm-hmm. uh, that's really good. So, do you know when you when you suffer from overthinking? Can you s- control this? Can you actually say, okay, I'm going to stop doing this now and distract myself to something else?
2: Um, I've definitely. Um, I mean, I, I don't do a lot of. I don't. I don't write a lot of lyrics at the moment. I do. I do a lot of the production side of things. So um, I've tried to develop an area of discipline where I don't spend too much time. Yeah. And I overthink what I'm doing. Just you have a listen. What does this piece of music need um, to drive the groove, and what does it need to do? Uh, need to flesh out the soundscape and and the harmony. Um, and is what you are doing, what I'm doing, my role? Um, is it adding anything to the music? Is it supporting the message and the vocals? Because um, you know, if you let, go go way back to ancient Indian. Um, you know uh, traditional music the the, the the singing is the highest of all art forms so everything else that happens is either emulating or supporting it and that's something that I always try and bring myself back to so you don't get too carried away of course in contemporary mm-hmm. music um, uh, the beat and the rhythm is very very important um, you know people like to feel hear and feel something that's going to move their body but ultimately um, people want to have an em, like, emotional experience You've got to facilitate an emotional response by what you're doing, um, so it really you really have to be put the emphasis on on the lyrics, on 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 the feeling uh, and and the meaning of it, and try and support that with the instrumentation. So I try to do that, not mm. get too carried away in in audio trickery.
0: Yes, yes, I can see that, and you know the technology that we use today can lead you to clicking too much, I think, and staring at screens and plugging windows for too long, yeah. Yeah, So What you said, I can really relate to this. I see that as well. When when I mix, um, that I sometimes get caught in a in a corner where I start to overthink, and uh, I I usually identify that by just realizing, you know, looking at my productivity. And if I don't get much done in a long time, that's usually because I'm overthinking. Yeah, mm. and then for me, it's time to have a break.
2: I, I tend to like have a have a like a you know I have a pass at arranging the songs, and um, then I'll. I'll just bounce out some rough uh, material, put it on the Google Drive next time we've got a long drive to a gig. we listen to all of the tracks like it's an album i you know I'll just do a make them like a hot mix like do a really rough master chain on the yeah. on 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 the master bus and um and then we'll just listen to them and like objectively in the car and have a think about what it needs, what we like, what we don't like where the arrangements could be cut down or extended. And then I'll have another pass where I record a lot of instrumentation. I'll set my guitar amp up and I'll have that set up for a few days. I'll do all the guitars um, and then I'll go through and edit them and try and make them fit within the context. And then I'll record some bass and do the same and then we'll do another rough bounce the next time we've got a long drive. Mm. We listen to objectively. So I I try not to do too much repetitive listening until we're at the final mix stage um, so we can stay objective about the the distinction between songwriting and arrangement and mixing and mastering. Yes, because that makes that, perfect sense. There is a quite a big grey area between the two when you're producing um, electronic music or, you know, it's like a hybrid what we do. So um, some of the composition is production and there's a you've got to find a distinction between what you're doing with the production and the composition and what you're doing to mix it and polish it up at the end.
0: Okay. So do you sometimes find yourself starting to use mixing tools too early?
2: Yes, Mm. And, I'm you know, it's it's, a constant battle, trying to find the discipline and find the line.
0: And that can distract you from what actually needs to be done right now. Yeah, and that's the point where
2: I turn it off, Mm. just mm. bounce it, walk away. Yes. Don't listen to it for a few days. Then we take a drive and a casual listen. Yes. And we listen to the vocals and we listen to the song and think about the shape of it um, and zoom out.
0: Zoom out. I like that. Um, (laughs) I I use the trick as well. Um, Sometimes uh, I I see really clearly when I'm in the middle of a mix and, you know, start to get a bit fatigued. I often see really clearly what needs to be done if I have a break, walk out, get myself a cup of tea from the kitchen and listen from a distance, sometimes even through the closed door.
1: Mm. That
0: often gives me the insight to really understand what's actually going on. So a change of perspective I find is is gold in many situations.
2: That is, there is good mm. value in that. I've, I've got a second mm. set of uh, monitors that are, are slightly cheaper that I don't mind cranking up a little bit. Um, and so I, I often will go out of the room and you know do some weeding in the garden or wash the dishes, and I'll just crank up the old KRK monitors and let the track blast in the in, in the other room and just see how I feel about it from somewhere else.
0: Yeah, and I think I also uh, perceive things differently when my mind is taken off it. So when I'm occupying myself by making myself a cup of tea, Mm. you know, my mind is actually on something else. And it's like my subconscious digests the song rather than the active mind, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And uh, that really helps me to gain some clarity. Um, Chelsea, I've got one more question for you. How do you know whether a song, when you write a song, whether it's a good song or not? You know, you probably have some songs that come together easier. When do you know that you've written a good song? What what measures, what benchmarks are there to to write a good song? So I know that's a difficult question. So potential answers to that question.
1: Mm-hmm. I, for me, I think the best songs are written kind of in a shorter space of time, all in one go with not too much... Um, like overthinking again. We're going to talk about that word.
0: <laughs> That's okay.
1: Yeah. And I haven't thought of a really good and a different analogy for this yet, but for me like the the good ones come
0: out kind of like doing a good poo. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is so funny. You know, I, I used to play in a band ages ago and uh, the singer Stefani Walsh played bass. Yeah. He could, just couldn't shut up about the one fact that the one of our best songs we ever played, he actually, that idea came to him on, on at the dunny when he was sitting on the dunny. He just <laughs> yeah, couldn't well, stop telling everybody that story. Well, <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't mean writing them all while you're doing that, but <laughs> just the funny. The feeling of satisfaction and completeness.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, and when it comes to lyrics, you know, do you um, do, do? have you got certain subjects or themes that you like to to address in your lyrics?
1: Yeah, there definitely seems to be um, a big focus for me on connecting with nature and patterns of connecting with other people other humans, and empathy comes up a lot. Mm. Empathy for others and empathy for ourselves with whatever we're going through. So, yeah, I think a lot of the time I'll write a song when I'm feeling a little bit challenged about a certain thing and then it's kind of like a song to teach me how to deal with that situation.
0: So it becomes almost like an outlet to, you know, deal with the situations, uh, for example. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And there's, there's a sense. lot of writing that I do that mm.
0: doesn't turn into
1: songs but yes. serves that same purpose.
0: Oh, okay. In your own words, you know, when you write many songs, what makes it that, that describes a good song in your eyes? How, how do you put some songs in the good basket and others don't end up there?
1: I think the good ones just end up sticking somehow. I don't know. I am just starting okay. to think about your do analogy you again left? when
2: you said that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really work the in that sticky context. sticky ones um, are the good ones. I don't know, like, the, the, you know, the, there's there's ones that are, are currently in Chelsea's mind that she's maybe written more recently um, that are quite catchy. We maybe jammed the chorus out of a gig and people really enjoyed it. Um, and like simple messages, the simpler is usually the better. Like there's mm. one that's the, the chorus line is, um, I have everything I need to be happy right here. Repeated, mm. the chorus line. And it's, and it's a really beautiful uh, chord core progression, uh, lovely major sevenths non-diatonic major sevenths which are really juicy and, and beautiful and comforting to set, to listen to. So I think the message and the harmony that Chelsea's written, they're all like together really um, a quite satisfying feeling. Um, but, you know, sometimes I'll be racking up the beats and um, Chell will come up with a few chords and she'll be like, oh, I need some lyrics, and she'll just rifle through these books and phone recordings mm-hmm. and, and just find something she hasn't used yet and just give it a go. Oh, cool. And try one or two and then one of them feels good, like the... The, the, you know, the, the syllables and, and the, the delivery just seem to work over the rhythm or the chord progression, then, then it will just stick. Mm. And you might need to write an extra verse to make it work. And, you know, usually within about all of 15 seconds she's got a great horn, horn line and a hook. Uh, yeah, I don't know if there's... there's I'm like,
1: available if anyone wants help writing songs. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: Look, um, what advice would you give other musicians who might be struggling with songwriting or, you know, get stuck in songwriting and not getting results?
1: I would say don't be afraid to just be honest and write about things that are meaningful to you and your experience that you're going through in life at the moment because I think a lot of the time, well, especially in the past in society, we are encouraged not to talk about um our vulnerabilities so much but I'm a huge advocate for everyone talking about their experience and sharing it because a lot of the time people have gone through the same thing you've gone through and the only way to find that out is to be open and start the conversation so Mm. yeah I'd, I'd say be courageous and that open. is some
0: great advice. I, I really like that. That takes a bit of courage to put yourself out there yeah. and you know share part of your soul and your feelings. Mm-hmm. But
1: um, yeah, it's very scary sometimes. It can be that scary, and...
0: yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had a negative experience sharing some of your most personal feelings?
1: Not that I know of. <laughs>
2: very
0: good. <laughs>
2: cool. I, I think that mm. if I was going if I was mm. going to play a game of Jeopardy with Chelsea's lyrics, I would say. What happened and how did it make you feel?
0: <laughs> <laughs> As a band, you're a, you're a little bit special in the sense that uh, you literally cover every single stage of the production uh, cycle from songwriting to playing the musical performances to recording it, to programming, to editing, mixing. Um, i don't think you've mastered yet but that's probably just a question of time so looking at what needs to be done you know the many hats we need to wear today as a band you literally between the two of you you cover all of them we Um, have a lot of hats
2: we have a lot of hats and we don't have a lot of spare time
0: (laughs) i can imagine yeah do you ever find wearing so many hats does it take away from just being a musician in any way
2: I, I suppose it can. It, like, I think over time of experience, you become um, you become more thick-skinned to the things that you do, um, and are able to to start to draw boundaries between them. Um, you know, if I go out and I take my bass guitar and I'm playing a gig of Jesse Morris, I'm just I just get lost inside my bass guitar and I play beautiful bass lines and I don't think about anything else. Um, if um, if I'm if I'm recording Chelsea's guide tracks for um, an upcoming album, I'm I'm just an engineer. I'm just passively finding the best way to capture and help facilitate good performances. Um, And then when we start to build the tracks, you know, every step of the way I kind of have to put a different hat on and make sure that I'm not wearing them all at once um, because you can kind of bamboozle and overwhelm yourself if you're thinking too far ahead um, about what you're doing. So... Yeah, I think with time and experience, you'd have divisions and boundaries and you'd kind of learn to turn them on and off like a tap and they will blur at points. Yeah. But experience teaches you that if you are able to draw those boundaries, you're going to make your life a lot easier, a lot less stressful, a lot less confusing and you'll probably get a much better result. Um, And there are things like mastering. Um, I like to get someone else to do that just to have a set of objective ears because I have worn so many hats on the way through and I have to make sure that I'm not in my own little delusional world and that um, what, what, what we've created is in some way relevant and, you know, and you know, the, the mixing is balanced you know, uh, and it will work uh, for a, you know, some, some level of commercial context and, yeah. and, it, and it will convey the emotion that was intended. So I have to get the tracks past Chelsea first Mm-hmm. um because she will often um be the one that's delivering uh the emotional content and the story. Um so if the tracks support that and she gives me the thumbs up then I send it to to my mastering guy. Um
0: ah that's very good so in some ways Cheryl, you you are the emotional quality control for Tom's mixes. Yeah. D- that are, understand that right yeah
2: yeah she's like the gatekeeper the emotional the gatekeeper oh that is
0: fantastic that well you know if you look at uh how people decide to listen to a song or to skip it that's very rarely a conscious decision you know that usually it's it's a gut feeling it's an emotional response you either like the song or you don't you don't even know how you make that decision it just happens yeah so why not make good mixed decisions from that same emotional place i think that's a really yeah. wise idea and That's a great workflow.
2: You've got to have gut gut Mm. stuff. And there also are are pretty good parameters to think about. You know, if you're writing a song that you want people to listen to on streaming or, you know, to be commercially viable, your beat's got to come in pretty early. Your vocals, if they don't come in in the first 30 seconds, they've lost them. Yes. You've got to be pretty quick in with some sort of hook and some sort of rhythm. And you've got to hit the chorus by a minute. That's kind of a rough area that I, I think about when I'm looking at them pragmatically.
0: Yes, it's uh, that's that's right. Um, people say that listeners have a shorter attention span these days and therefore you can't af- afford a long intro anymore, which in some ways is actually sad, but it's literally just the reality of what it is. Yeah.
2: We save those for the gigs. Yes, okay, oh, that's cool. You can be a m- more self-indulgent yeah. and extend mm. the arrangements in the gigs and, and give someone a different experience to the album, yeah. more improvisation um, or breakdowns, dub yep. sections, you know, really go go nuts for the, the live performance. But with the recorded versions, you know, we'll often create something and then go, okay, well, we need to make a radio edit. We, we love having that many horn lines and that extra chorus in there and we love having that breakdown, but the song's five minutes 40 and that's nearly a bohemian rhapsody. Oh, uh, we, we just trim <laughs> it
1: down to five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: you know, some of them end up being about 4.20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Coincidentally, <yes. laughs>
0: Oh, that's great. And um, Tom, now that you've learned to wear all these hats, um, what would be your advice for, uh, let's say, less experienced uh, home producers? You know, Um, should they try to wear all these hats one after another or are there any areas where you would recommend to maybe just get help?
2: How how would you? I'd say say having a good community of Mm. um, musicians and or producers and music lovers around you. Uh, is a very valuable thing um, when you're in the engine room or you know cooking away at these these tracks and exploring your the boundaries of your technical expertise and your creativity um, you can sometimes get lost inside a little bubble and like with instrumental performance what feels good doesn't always sound good in that moment so you know if if I'm in a state of primal ecstasy with a djembe drum in a drum circle and I'm beating the head out of the thing. It feels great. It's a wonderful release. But if I recorded that and put it on Spotify, I don't think many people would want to listen to it. There's a difference between uh, um, cathartic uh, musical experience and kind of some sort of self-indulgent experimentation and um, something that um, where you're, you know, looking for to create something that will... Um, in some way, like I said, facilitate an emotional response or some sort of catharsis for someone else, or be soothing or beautiful to to immerse yourself in. So I, I think um, having a, a good good idea of whether you're in the studio and you're just you're going down the wormhole to explore the the doors of perception with your equipment, and then shifting into a mindset where, okay, I've explored that. Now, how can I use that in a context that will be? useful um to support a song or how will i reach out to people and make them feel something with these tools that i've equipped mm. myself with so it's uh, yeah, so it's, it's definitely looking through different eyes
0: yeah I, I really like that that's a good way to sum it up there was a lot to take in there right now there was a lot of wisdom in what you just said tell us more about the future for for sky eater um you're working on this album. Have you? Uh, how how, f- how far are you with that at
2: this stage?
1: We've got a few more final vocal takes to put down, and then the harmonies, and I think that's pretty much it.
2: Yeah, there may be one or two solos, and I, I'm looking to oh, yeah. find an opportunity to record um, some vibraphone of Hugh Jones. Um, Um, And he lives quite far away now. He's a very good friend, a very talented musician. But we've included some good guest musicians on this album. We're not playing absolutely everything like the last few. Um, So we've got uh, Peter Hunt from Cooey, um, Stuart Curry from Air Structure Firewalk. Um, We've got Elena Marchigot from Jesse Morris Band, who also plays with Felicity Lawless now, and Aya Trumpet from Pineapple Laser and the 420 Sound. Um, So. We're looking to have like a, a smattering of wonderful guest performers, most of which we've recorded. I think we've got maybe...
1: We've got Annie, Annie well. DeGroote, yeah, on the Annie viola.
2: some very haunting viola. On.
1: Really amazing viola.
2: There's like this kind of um, haunting t- slow motion Bollywood line in one track and um, she's uh, playing some very mournful sounding viola on a track Chelsea wrote about cutting the end of her finger off of an axe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so... Annie
1: and I actually had a writing session together. I
0: I think, you need to explain that (laughs) to us. What happened there?
1: Oh yeah, last year. We can laugh. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty horrific for a sax player to be chopping wood with a short-handled axe, which everybody at home. I can recommend that you get a long-handled axe if you're chopping wood and um, be really, really extra careful. But I did slice through the end of my fingertip with the axe. Ouch. And I couldn't play for three months. But I did write some really good songs. Well,
0: I think they're good. (laughs) (laughs) How is your fingertip nowadays? It
1: is amazing. It regrew. So I learnt that if you cut the end of your finger off Anywhere from the fingernail upwards, it can regrow like a
0: lizard tail. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> or a, a, an this octopus is, tentacle,
2: or an <laughs> octopus <laughs> tentacle.
0: Yeah, what a story! Mm. It's actually not the first story about uh, injuries on this podcast series, but um, <laughs> uh, regular listeners would know about this by now. We can make this a thing, I guess.
2: <laughs> I, I think well, that um, out of all of the tracks, sometimes we we'll, we have a listen with some friends just casually as well of the the progress on the tracks. Out of all the tracks, that one. Um, when, I'm, when, when you listen to music with other people, um, you get a sense of empathy. Like when you, you, when you sit with another person, you, it's almost like you hear it through their ears. And so we've sat with other friends and listened to the tracks and, and they all have a different feeling. But this one just made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. It's the slowest, darkest tune out of the lot, but it is full of emotion. And that, Yeah, when, and when it's I feel also
1: that, it turned into quite an uplifting Song as well. Like for me, listening to it, it's like it starts out all dark and really, really emotional. But when it hits the chorus, it's just like just being mm. lifted up on a cloud.
2: When you, yeah, when you feel those butterflies in your stomach and the hairs in the back of your neck standing up, you know you got a good song. Yes. Uh, well said. And it's amplified well by the company you're sitting with. If they feel that, you feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that I think that's important. Um, friends, musicians, producers, music lovers. If you play it in their company and you feel a swell of emotion in the room, you're onto it.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So you, in in some ways, you do uh, like you know uh, product testing with uh, small groups. You play it to friends you trust, and you get some feedback Mm. about your music from friends. Which I suppose it's kind of
2: informal, really. Yeah. Like we've we've had some friends around for dinner, having a jam, and we've been listening to other musical night in the mm. background, and I'll just slip well, a few tracks in, on
0: in, in business terms that's product testing but you know obviously when you do it in a casual way it can be just as effective because other people who listen to the song for the first time often have a certain clarity i believe that you may not have when you're in the middle of it mm. and yeah. you're uh, so mentally tangled up in a large production so that's a really effective way mm. um i have to admit that i sometimes do the same thing uh, when when with my art when i when i mix. That I play a mix to other people, like my kids, for example. And uh, it's not really about what they say afterwards, you know. I just like to watch people as they listen to to my work, and it tells me a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, when I see people at the edge of their seat, bobbing mm-hmm. their heads, I know. I don't even know need to know what they think about it. I already know mm. it's good. But if people start to get distracted, if my boy runs away and doesn't want to listen to the end of it, then I know I've, I haven't done a good job yet. <laughs> but kids are very good at sensing whether it's a good song or not, mm. I found kids are really good at that. Daddy, there's too
2: much four kilohertz in yeah. the vocals. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a great example
0: because literally, you know, it's the complete absence of overthinking. Kids have never learned to overthink. All they have is the their emotional response to music and that's literally the only one that counts, at least in my book, at the end of the day, so it's really good to do that.
1: Yeah.
2: I, I think we kind of we, we digressed on a little bit of a tangent there mm. um, about fingers, <laughs> um, or, and you originally asked us about what the plans are. Yes, let's do uh, back to that. Um, and so we've got ten tracks, one of which is already released as a single with video clip, "The Wind Blows" underwater video clip, um, and we've got another nine tracks of unreleased material that we're working on. I, I'd say that we are—we've got about five or six lead vocals and a couple of bits and pieces to record. Then it's mix time. Um, this probably will be over the next few months because we have quite big schedules. And our aim is to release it on vinyl later in the year. Um, and once the country further settles down from um, from the the problems we've been having with the pandemic, um, we are, our plan is to reinstate a tour that we had planned for um, Adelaide and Western Australia. Um, that was yeah, it was we had it planned for I think April 2020, and of course uh, the world shut down for a while there, so we. We'd already bought flights, we'd done press releases, we'd done all the right things. I had guest lectures booked at Adelaide SAE and various gigs and good venues in Western Australia and it would have been our first appearance there. So I think it would be good to release that and use a tour across the country as a vehicle to promote it.
0: Well, knock on wood, hopefully it will go ahead, hopefully sooner than later. Let's see how we go. Um, Yeah, well, um, if you're okay with this, I would like to uh, maybe put a link uh, into the podcast notes to um, the release song what's the title of that song again Wind Blows Wind Blows thank you for yes. reminding me the video is phenomenal uh, thank you enjoyed that a lot so can't yeah. wait for, for that to be out um, but we'll definitely put a link uh, into the show notes as well cool so cool. that people can visit you and uh, have you got a website where would people find out more about uh, Sky Eater too?
1: yeah we have a website www.skyeater.com.au and yeah you can find us on Facebook Instagram Instagram all the streaming platforms, you can listen to the material that we've already released.
0: Fantastic! Yeah, and hopefully people will be able to see you live soon. Yeah, on
1: all the gig dates are on our website as well.
0: Okay, yeah. so gigs are happening again, and gigs hopefully are the, the big uh, Australia tour later this year. Fingers crossed, knock on wood. Yes, yeah. let's <laughs> <We'll laughs> see how point. we go with that. But I wish you all the best for that. Thank so, you. well, thank you so much for making the time today uh, and sharing your wisdom. That's uh, really insightful for me, and I. Uh, Really appreciate you dedicating your time to this. So, thank you very much.
2: It's our pleasure. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for Jan. having
0: us. Thank you. Wow, this was absolutely phenomenal. Chell and TK are an amazing music production team, and I admire how they both navigate each other's strengths and weaknesses and relay their production tasks. But they also don't hesitate to outsource tasks to external specialists, whether that's Bollywood-style strings or mastering. They truly are a small music production team working like a well-oiled machine. Next week I'd like to focus on mixing and mastering. Most of you already know the technical aspects, so I'll be brief on the scientific side. I believe it will be much more valuable to talk about the artistic side and I'll explain how it feels like to be in the mixing zone. And just before we finish up, let me please ask you for a favor. In your podcast app right next to this episode, you'll find a share button. As a self-producing musician, you're probably a member of musician groups or forums. Can you please click that button and share this episode to these groups and forums for me? Maybe write a sentence or two? That would absolutely make my day. Thank you so much. I'll see you next week when we speak about mixing. Bye for now.